Hello, hello, Leah Pika here. Today's guest is helping data analysts and dashboard designers stay sane while keeping their stakeholders happy. Stay tuned to find out who's keeping it simple, silly, on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 71. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hey, hello, dear listener, and welcome to the 71st episode of the Present Beyond Measure Show, the only podcast still at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, storytelling, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through thoughtfully presented insights and ideas. I'm going to dive right in with some very exciting updates. So you may already be aware if you are a subscriber, hope you are, click follow on Spotify or iTunes. Whoops, I digress. But you may already know that I am publishing my first book. So I'm going to be sharing news and updates here, as well as bits and bites from the book. Actually, next episode will be a little snippet from it. Some will be in the book, some will be on the, from the cutting floor. So you can get a sense of what the book holds in store for you. So I have two very exciting developments that I can't wait to share here first with you, my dear listener. First, I've selected a book cover. Oh, this is such a surreal experience especially as someone who loves design as much as I do. But having been a lifelong lover of books, it is, <laughs> it is unreal to see my name as an author on one of my own. It's a feeling that I hope all aspiring authors, speakers, bloggers, and experts in this space get to enjoy themselves one day. And now, this is the very big, exciting news, drumroll. I've locked in the book title, the book will be called Story-Driven Data, Design, Visualize, and Deliver Business Presentations That Inspire Action. Oh, that's it in a nutshell. I am so thrilled with this title because for me, it truly captures the spirit of this book. In my years of experience presenting data and enacting change in organizations, it's become clear to me that the phrase data-driven decisions doesn't quite hit the mark. The reality is that humans make decisions. And while data may inform those decisions, it is story and emotion that ultimately drives them forward. You'll see what I mean when it comes out. I'm still in editing. It is a quite a laborious task, especially when you've poured 10 years of self-study and distilled it into one volume. Oh my, oh my God. But I'm very happy to report that every day I'm making minimum viable progress and I just keep swimming and it's coming out to you. So if you aren't already on the list to get all the little updates and bits and bytes, you can go to leahpika.com slash the book for exclusive news, updates, and goodies. All right, so don't want to waste another minute of your time before we dive into today's exciting guest. Okay, everyone. Today's guest is wonderful and special. He is the founder and managing partner of Pandata, a team of 25 data experts specializing in understanding unique data challenges and developing scalable solutions based on the latest technologies. Having worked in the field for the past decade, he is an expert in simplifying complex data problems and supports companies in unlocking their next stage in digital maturity. He is the founder of the largest meetup on digital analytics in Germany with over 3,000 members. And he is a former co-organizer at Measure Camp Berlin and a frequent speaker at conferences like AI Expo, Berlin Startup Night, and Marketing Analytics Summit, where I'll be speaking later this year as well. So please help me welcome our newest guest, Marco Seidenleder. Perfect. Hi, Lea. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we recently met on LinkedIn, and I really loved your credentials. I loved what you were doing. I love that you were 
one of the outposts helping uh, you know the the european market grow in terms of the area of, of digital analytics so i love how global this movement is becoming but first i thought we would start with your origin story everyone loves a good origin story so how did you fall into this magical mystical world of analytics well i'm actually a technician so i uh, i studied computer science a computer science major and um, from that, I really got excited about startups. And back then, I went to Rocket Internet, which was, uh, at least in Europe, the address for, for startups. And there, I got really interested about data. And with my background in computer science, plus a bit of uh, knowledge about economics and business, um, I, I really fell into that direction of, uh, of data, data science, and data in general. And uh, this is how I then became a freelancer also in that area. So after my time at Rocket, I became a freelancer mostly in marketing analytics and marketing data. And then from that transitioned into my company, which I founded together with a former colleague from Rocket Internet. By now, I mean, you just said it, we're 25 people and have been around for five years now, even though there is a different Pandata in the US. So please don't confuse us with them. Right. You're a doppelganger. Yeah, we hear that a lot. We have to meet them at some point. I mean, we don't even know who they are. And uh, I mean, they seem like cool people. At least they have a cool name, right? That's my story, basically. And this is how I, how I got into data and also into presenting data because I realized every time when you, when you work with data, you need to be able to present it. I mean, I've, as I said, I'm much more of a technical person, but I also realized that um, if you're not able to show what you're doing, Nobody will understand, and people will definitely judge a book by its cover there. And I think this is how I how I got into presenting and, and presenting data, especially. How did your career path take shape in terms of you know how did presenting data, I should say, help your career path take shape? I'm curious about that. I think that's a, probably the point when I realized exactly that um, I was working on the fanciest marketing analytics implementations and then in the end nobody took really notice of them because uh, you can tell people look what i did uh, in the background there it's going to make so many things better but if you're not able to convey that information and convey it in a way that also a non-technical person understands it and understands it there's just no point in it and i think this was the moment when i realized i really need to evolve the skills that will allow me to also present what i did in an understandable manner i think that's really valuable insight it's almost like what we are learning and working on is constantly tested and optimized by the people that we're presenting to right? We're always testing and learning with our numbers, but are we testing and learning about the work, the impact that we're having? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to look at it. So if we were locked in a room with your Pandata team, properly socially distanced, of course, for, for about three hours, what would you and the team actually be able to help me do by the time we come out? Because I feel that's a really good way to help understand what it is, what the value is that you guys bring to the table? I think that is such a cool question <laughs> that I will definitely steal it from you at some point. That'll be $5,000. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we would probably be able to help you with understanding where the data potential in your company lies. So we would go together through the data sources um, that you have. And I mean, it's always the same. Clients tell us, hey, look, we got um, five data sources that could be interesting. In the end, um, after one hour, we have already 30 or something, and then we need to prioritize again which ones of them, uh, plus 10 Excel files that people are working on that also have equally irrelevant data in them. And um, then we also help to prioritize and understand which of the data is actually useful. I think in those three hours, we could also understand um, the technical environment. Um, all of this is running on, so basically the, the data landscape in itself, and understand how we could potentially improve on that and see where um, where maybe different systems uh, could do a better job. And then in the end, um, obviously also map that to actual business goals. Because I mean, what's the point of building all nice infrastructure if you, if you don't have any outcome of it? Um, so we would definitely uh, need to talk about goals and um, basically then uh, go top down from those goals and uh, translate that to, to actions that we would take on the data infrastructure and on the reporting. So 
if I hear you correctly, it sounds like you're helping set them up for success from a reporting lens because before there's data, before there's collection or analysis, you're actually informing on the how the infrastructure works and also how the goals feed into that so that you're literally starting out of the gate on your best foot, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we would usually call ourselves an enabler for, for these kind of things. Basically, we, we enable the stakeholders in the company to apply their domain knowledge because that is what we obviously don't have um, as good as they can on the data that the company produces. Oh, that's, you know, I think that's a really important phrase. We are truly enablers if we're doing our job in the best possible way, right? We're not an analyzing. <laughs> I'm not saying that right. We're not <laughs> analyzing because we're just, it's just what we are supposed to be doing. It's just our job. We are literally a vehicle for enabling how our stakeholders can leverage their zones of genius, right? but marry that with the power of the insights that we're bringing to them. I'm curious, it kind of puts you on the spot a bit, but is there an insight or an aha moment that you guys created for yourselves or for a client when working with a client where you were like, that is so cool. This is why we do this. Oh, um, don't get me started because I, I might not finish. <laughs> Too late. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the coolest that just come to, came to my mind is, I mean, maybe not so cool for the client, but probably cool that we discovered it. Just through setting up the reporting, we realized that one of our really large-scale clients was sending uh, leads that were coming in via phone to the wrong country, to the wrong operators. And that would have never surfaced if we hadn't had that reporting. And I mean, obviously, that's a huge, uh, that's a, a huge opportunity wasted there. Um, because I, if I remember correctly, it was um, callers from Sweden that were uh, sent to Finland. And I mean, they speak completely different languages. So there is no way an operator from Finland could have helped them. Um, and we set up the reporting that basically uh, allowed that to surface. And I think that was really cool. That's just the first one that came to my mind. I think I've made. Oh, I mean, finding, finding issues just because you're implementing reporting is so cool, right? <laughs> just me. It, it just shows the importance of that. You know, if, if I can share a story, I remember in my agency days, I inherited a, a really big search marketing advertising account. And one of the things I inherited was this problem where no matter what we did, we could never spend the full budget of our client. Month after month, they were like, guys, spend the entire budget. <laughs> That's why we give it to you. But And we would micromanage our calculations. And every single month, we'd come short. It was so bizarre. And w at one point, I decided to reverse engineer the actual tools that we were using to project and allocate our budget. And it turns out there was like a one cell letter mistake in one of the formulas. <laughs> and when I found it and switched it, suddenly I realized we were always going to spend 20% less than the budget. This is why we were never meeting that full amount. So sometimes just the actual act of putting that reporting in place and unpacking it can lead you to a major insight that, and it solved that problem. We spent their budget every months since. I don't know. I hope it's okay that I share a story. Of I course. I mean, that's super <laughs> interesting. And I think it's really cool that you, uh, you, you made the same experiences there because uh, often, I mean, you always want to find the greatest data insights when you uh, set up a report. But I think uh, these kind of uh, byproducts, they often, they, they often just go unnoticed, uh, which is a shame because I think already working with the data can lead to so much change. I mean, data is, is, is not only a main driver for your business. Data is also political. It's a driver for change. I mean, we had one client who uh, had his first president for a cloud server just because we set up an infrastructure and um, we were pressing for having a cloud server. And they were a bit of a, co a conservative company um, with uh, policies that wouldn't allow for that. And I mean, we helped to create a president. And I think in in the projects that we do, obviously, we generate insights from data. But I think it's super interesting to see what, what other parts come with that. Uh, 
and, and bring value to the company too. Yeah, they're not always expected through the main channels of data being served out by, let's say, a dashboard that's going out and, and, and presentation decks, right? So that's actually a really good segue into what's going to be the really juicy part of our discussion, which are dashboards. So dashboards haven't been too heavily discussed on this show. First, because it's not really my main area of teaching focus yet. And that's partially because I have a certain perspective on where dashboards are used versus where presentations are used. However, they are an integral part of the information communication process and they fascinate me. So I love bringing you on because you seem to be a real dashboard nut. <laughs> you seem to have a lot of experience with that. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about this. So for you, how would you, how would you define a dashboard as its essence, the most understandable way possible? I would like to try to, to uh, distinguish it from the presentation with that, because I think the presentation is something that you use usually once off to convey a very specific message. But I think the dashboard is something much more static that will allow you and other people potentially to monitor something over time. And I think this is, and actually that is a big misconception that I think many of our clients have because some of them approaches with requests. Sorry, I think I'm exceeding the, the, the time for you gave me for the small uh, definition. But I No, think. no, no, this is important. And I think many of them approach us with uh, requests asking whether we could automatically create a presentation for them from the data and we usually say there is there is no point because uh, the presentation you need only ever so often and it's super complicated to create a presentation automatically computer generated that's <laughs> next to impossible oh, man. Never well oh. a dashboard is something completely <laughs> different right yeah that is uh, like super uh, super important for us here it's so funny if you're not seeing the video version of this, I'm kind of doing like the biggest eye roll of the century because when I hear people say, you know, can you just auto-generate a presentation? It, it, it indicates such a misconception around what a presentation is. I still have yet to see any form of AI generate a story narrative arc. That is what the, that's what humans understand. This is what it is to be human is to understand the emotion and the rise and fall of an actual narrative. Whereas for me, a dashboard, I wrote actually a whole post about this on LinkedIn, which kicked up some controversy. But for me, a dashboard is like a car dashboard. You should not have to be a car mechanic to understand your dashboard. It allows you to make simple decisions on your own, on the fly, or raises questions to say, hey, does, does this need attention from like an expert or you know someone who knows more? Do I need to go to my mechanic or not? It doesn't get in and like tell you a whole story like, Leah's going to the store. Leah is out of gas. Will she make it to the gas station? what will happen next? Like it doesn't, that's not what it does. That's what a presentation does to help people feel that journey. So I am so glad that you're making a distinction here because one of the things I see most often is dashboards being brought in as the deck. Absolutely. As a presentation deck. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I think you're, you're so on spot with that. The dashboard can be the basis for, uh, can be the input for, or uh, partially the input for the presentation is a um I, I really like your analogy with the car because you're not writing a story about the car just by taking a screenshot of the or taking a picture of the of the dashboard right and i think it's exactly that yeah exactly so i'm so glad to find people who you know love dashboards who have a similar you know philosophy around this because i think also it's because people are very pressed for time and i also wonder about whether dashboards are being designed well enough to truly be self-serve which is what i feel is the criteria for a great dashboard that you you shouldn't have to take someone through it week after week <laughs> the whole point of it is that you're not having to do that but for you what are 
the most essential ingredients in a successful dashboard where you're like, oh yeah, this one works? What pops out? I agree with your point that it should be uh, self-explanatory, of course. Um, I think it's always good when you have the main KPIs that you need to understand at one glance at the top and then uh, you go more detailed once you scroll to the bottom of the dashboard so that you have a further breakdown. Um, we have that uh, with one client who put that really nicely, I believe. I think they call it three seconds, uh, 30 seconds and three minutes or something, which are basically the amounts of time that you should be spending uh, with, with each of the se uh, sections of the dashboard. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I, I really like that because uh, the first one you want to see three seconds, you come in the morning, you know, is there something wrong? What's going on? How was our performance yesterday? And then you drill down further. Obviously, it doesn't need to be scrolling, but it's just one way of how you can arrange that. Um, I like the idea of, of self-service in, in general. I think when it comes to dashboarding, it depends a lot. There's, I mean, it's, it's always a, a two-edged sword how much interactiveness you want to offer because the more interactiveness you offer, the more can possibly go wrong. Um, so if you have a <laughs> dashboard that is very much tailored to your, uh, to your audience, I don't think it, it needs to be that interactive um, because it will just show them um, the, the figures that, that they need to see. While obviously there's almost... An, an, uh, an endless spectrum of how uh, how much interactivity you can offer uh, up until to some completely exploratory way of dashboarding where, where people would put together um, the numbers by themselves. And I think both of them have their use cases and I think we're actually moving more and more towards the direction of self-service where um, people would click together their dashboards themselves on the fly, which I believe is a good thing. But on the other hand, obviously requires much higher data literacy, much more education and also a more stable database in the background uh, that will forgive errors or, or um, lack of knowledge in putting things together. Excellent. So how do you balance interactivity with your sanity? <laughs> Because <laughs> I know it, a lot of it is around building a really solid sandbox in a way for stakeholders play around and explore, but it, it can overshoot to giving a little too much leeway where they stray outside of places that might feel like where they begin to ask the wrong questions or bring biases in. Like, you know, what are describe some of those challenges? Yeah, sure. I mean, for us, it already starts with the uh, with the data that you're making available in the dashboarding tool. So what you definitely want to make sure is that everybody is looking at the same data, that everybody is looking at the same definitions. I mean, we've seen so many clients where each department has their own definition of customer lifetime value, and uh, that just doesn't work out, right? When and, and the reason for that is usually people creating their own dashboards on their own terms and um, deciding on the go what customer lifetime value for them means. So what we always want to make sure is that there is one kind of single point of truth uh, where all of that comes together, where all of the data flows together and where all of the definitions are, are stored as well, um, which each individual can then use for their dashboarding. Now, obviously, you don't want to give the full dashboarding power to everybody in the company. You might want to give that um, to the data people there, to the, to the very data informed people that they can then work on that layer of abstraction that you're providing in the database so you don't give them the raw data but you give them uh, this layer that you already worked on that already has bound in itself the definitions that you need and then they can put that together and obviously then for a broader audience say your marketing team i don't know your seo team you would uh, you would already put together dashboards that they can then use and funnel the requests through the through the data team in order to to add additional functionality and i think People uh, should be encouraged to work with the data themselves and also if they're from a different department, but I think they will uh, uh, need to undergo at least a bit of a basic training for that because usually when, when everybody's able to create dashboards, uh, it always leads to havoc. Yeah, <laughs> it's always like the the Jurassic Park dilemma, just because you can do something, should you? <laughs> Right. And I like how you talked about layering. You know, it, it, it's kind of that thoughtful, invisible layer that helps corral, I think, folks into the ideal area that they're 
able to play in. Have you had, I, I love stories. So have you had a case where too much leeway was given in a way and you had to pull back? I'm just curious if that ever happened. <laughs> oh, I, I would say several of them. That's something that we see very often in companies. And I think it especially happens when difference when systems are built in parallel and that is something that that happens very often that uh, you have one department that doesn't have the power to build their own dashboard so what they do is they usually get the approval from somebody higher up the ranks uh, to get a different tool in which will do the, a similar job that the other department has and that's always it's super hard to balance that out because um, you you want you want to enable people enough so that they can do their own dashboarding, but you you also want to restrict them as much so that they don't create havoc, but then you need to be careful that they don't build their own solution at some point because they're dissatisfied with what they have at oh, hand. Oh, I see. <laughs> Where they go rogue. You very often as well, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the ideal is to really be focused on what their needs are so that they aren't tempted to go off and begin overlaying their own visions when that's really supposed to be your area expertise mm. how is that for you i mean you must see a lot of of that as well i guess like when it comes to dashboards and or, or reports that just show up out of nowhere i mean well you know my days i haven't worked uh, with clients and consulting capacities in quite a long time since i've been teaching but what i remember i definitely remember lots of interesting requests for things based on you know we would try to capture needs as best as possible. And then lots of change requests for things after that, because it, it kept provoking new conversations. So I developed kind of my, my Pika protocol, which is really geared towards building data stories over presentation, but I, you can actually apply it to dashboards as well, where I did that with a consulting engagement. And what I noticed was that the earlier in the process that the purpose was focused on, why are you asking for this number? Why is this KPI important? Why do you want to see it from this lens? We would start to separate kind of the wheat from the chaff with that saying where, you know, people would start to filter out, well, but I thought it was important. I've heard it's important or I like it. <laughs> Very subjective, more emotionally driven metrics instead of saying, well, sitting down and saying, well, how are you going to make a decision off of these particular angles? If you're not going to do that, then we want to focus away from that because that was what I was finding. We would give them what they thought they want, but it wasn't actually enabling a specific decision that they were trying to get to. <laughs> I really, I couldn't agree more. We see that, we see that so often as well. And um, you're absolutely right. You need to guide the people to what they actually need because they, they, they think they know, but very often uh, they don't. And then you really explore that together in the process. I mean, one of the most frustrating things I believe that you can do when building dashboards is later on actually looking how often the dashboard gets used. Like in Tableau, ah. for example, you see the counts, how, how often it, it gets opened. And very often that is a very frustrating experience that you invest the time and build together a, a really good dashboard. And then in the end, it doesn't get looked at as often. And I think this is very often because of the problem that you just described. Um, people should invest more time in actually exploring what the purpose is, what the problem is there uh, they're looking after and they're like trying to solve. That was so frustrating. <laughs> Working so hard on building everything. And you can often feel like radio silence is a good sign. Oh, we've answered all their questions. But then you check those user stats and you're like, oh, no one's looking at it <laughs> when they begged me for it for six months. So what kind of KPIs are you looking at to determine whether you feel like there's a, a good amount of user engagement? Mm, wow, that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, obviously, I would look at uh, open rate and, and gauge rate with the with the dashboard. Um, I mean, I, I haven't said it before, but I come uh, originally from from web tracking, so I I think it's very very similar to that. And I mean, you can go really crazy when it comes to to web tracking with those. So I think 
I would, if, if it were possible, I, I'm not sure any, any tool provides that, but I would look at how long, how much time do they spend with the dashboard in one session? How, how deep do they scroll? And obviously, yeah, how, how often do they open it? But I think that's, that's probably a bit of a no brainer. Yeah. Scroll depth. That is an interesting one, right? Because I think there's a few schools of thought where a dashboard should not be scrollable. It should be a snapshot where you see everything in one shot. But then there's this new scrolly telling format of digital storytelling, which the New York Times is starting to popularize and, and things. And you talked about earlier, you know, scrolling down. So once you establish kind of that high level list of KPIs that people want to see at a glance, what's the framework that you have for starting to drill down when you're creating the dashboard like what are the lenses or angles or paths that that takes i mean so usually we start with the company goals so really at a, at a high level what are the abstract goals and then we would break that down into actionables that we would then break down into into kpis basically and then those kpis we need to break down into individual measurements basically that we can use in order to generate the, the kpis and then you have like this nice tree um, that will give you essentially a breakdown of what kpi is leading to what actionable is leading to what goal mm, okay so it's like a tree in a way and whatever is at the bottom branches of those trees is still bubbling up to filter into kind of that top level exactly and at the bottom you just have like the the individual measurements basically the individual numbers and then obviously use those in order to calculate kpis from and then in the best case those uh, those kpis should obviously um, contribute to some actionable that will help you to satisfy some kind of company-wide goal i completely agree with the kind of paradigm that you're talking about i also feel that i like to create tracks visually with dashboards where whatever track is started at the top vertically it follows that kind of thought for the rest of it which leads us away from this sort of mishmash of completely random <laughs> charts and graphs that are just thrown on like oh we might like this and oh they might like that you know that sort <laughs> I have a I have a funny story for you when we talk about about oh, yes, please. <laughs> for for one client I mean I don't know how often you hear of uh, real-time dashboarding this is definitely a thing that will come up in in any meeting at some point and the problem with real-time is it's a lot more complicated to build and usually the value is not as high because what action will you take on real-time marketing data you won't change your campaigns uh, every half an hour um, it's usually enough if you look at it uh, once daily so what we what we once built for a client was a real-time dashboard with a map of, of Germany and then you could see the sales uh, pop up every time uh, a new sale uh, happened at, at what location and that was real-time but it was the data from the day before uh, because it was just too much I mean, the client agreed with us. It is it is definitely possible we can build that, but the additional infrastructure cost of having that set up uh, just didn't justify the the impact that that might have had. But it it looked really nice, obviously, and I think. <laughs> but it looked it, so it, there cool. Is a, there is a valid point behind that because sometimes um, the message you want to convey is also, hey, people look at data, and I think you can engage people with something like that, which can have a value in itself too, even though. Yeah, this is this is this uh, you know tightrope that we have to walk. Right, is uh, one of my friends who's a business coach said to me once. He was like, Leah, give them what they want. So you have the permission to give them what they need. And even though a lot of the presentation principles around designing decks and, and different things kind of fly in the face of what is culturally demanded often in organizations, it, 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 you have to find that line because you have to, at some point, kind of give what they want to open that door. So I could see that being a tough call where clearly it would be probably sort of hypnotizing to just watch sales <laughs> pop all over the country, even though it's a day old, and then be like, oh, let's, let's take a look at the rest of this. And that's almost sort of the gateway for that. 
But I think you're also spot on that you have to really consider what the cost is, what the downside is of creating the infrastructure for some of these things that are more of what I call the vanity side of measurement, you know, not not actually actionable. Real time, amazing for Q&A, essential for testing and <laughs> and quality assurance, uh, sorry, QA, quality assurance. But other than that, I 100% agree the usefulness is questionable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are other cases like uh, QA, as you say, also um, in, in, in the in, in industry, there's a lot of uh, machinery in industry, there's a lot of uh, uh, use cases for that. I mean, when you do predictive maintenance, you want your dashboard to tell um, that part is going to tear before it actually happens and not on the day after. Um, but I think uh, at least when we speak to most uh, of the companies that uh, there is no real use case for it. And um, I think that's then also our responsibility to, to understand together, is it really purposeful? And if it's just for vanity, there are other routes that you can take that will also work, that will um, make people interested in what they see. Well, what do you think is one of the areas that maybe some one of the biggest mistakes that you see practitioners making when they're creating dashboards? It's like this one great area to improve. Well, I think um, generally when it comes to data, we see people just trying to cram into into it everything that's that's possible, and I think that's that's usually not a good thing. Be concise. Try to convey a message and think about. When you build a dashboard, what is the message that I want to convey with this thing to whom? Don't ignore your customers. Don't ignore the audience who will look at uh, at the dashboard. And I think you need to speak to those people first and you need to look at the data that you have and uh, then be as concise as possible. And it's always it's always easier uh, to put in an additional uh, an additional chart uh, than to re than to remove one. Um, so I would rather start smaller and uh, build it up iteratively uh, instead of just trying to to cram into it uh, into everything at once. And that's the same when we when we build data warehouses. Um, usually in the beginning, our clients they just want to put in every data source uh, they have, and we usually say, guys, let's take a step back. Let's think about what we want to achieve. We build a framework that can handle additional data sources once we need them. And this is how I would go about the dashboard as well. I would build a reporting framework that can be extended, but I would start iteratively and I would start only with the, uh, the things that, that um, we all agree have a purpose at that moment for, for that audience that we're targeting to. So rather than building the whole thing with a whole bunch of random stuff and then handing it over, you are building in chunks and you're getting feedback and you're building upon it until you've reached what you feel is like a good complete output. Absolutely. I think no dashboard is ready after after one design iteration. I th I've never I've never seen it. It usually takes at least two or three iterations until we have a dashboard that is uh, that is really usable. That's actually a very helpful kind of metric. Has your dashboard gone under, or are you way above those number of iterations? Which actually is a good question. Obviously, I might be the only one who's ever experienced the clients asking for lots of changes. <laughs> Sarcasm. I'm sure it's a common problem. So how do you handle or even mitigate really excessive change requests before you officially say, okay, guys, here it is, go. <laughs> I mean, that's that's obviously a problem. We, especially as, uh, as consultants, need to watch out for that. We already plan for a few iterations, and whenever we work on a dashboard with a client, we already communicate upfront that there will be design iterations, and we try to already schedule those. That gets people much more on board that we will actually need to work towards a goal. And uh, if you tell them, look, we're going to have three sessions where we're going to iterate over the design, then I think those sessions will be much more much more focused than when you just say, uh, okay, let's work on, on the dashboard uh, together. And I think the other one is getting the people on board to actually be able to maybe not make the changes themselves, but make them actively be part of designing the dashboard. Because once the we always try to build things that can be 
run by the company uh, themselves later on and where they don't need us. So I think usually the way we go is we build the first iteration. Then the second iteration, we already designed together and maybe we have somebody from the company help us uh, click around with the dashboards a bit. And then on the third iteration, uh, they might already do a bigger part. And this is usually a good way of uh, transferring the ownership as well and also making sure that the people at the company get a feeling for what they actually need and what they can actually do with the data. Um, as I said before, we should be enablers. And I think this is what actually enables the company then to do dashboarding themselves at some point. So in a way, it's enabling a learning curve for them to get comfortable with consuming data, but also seeing the possibilities of what they can look for, what kinds of decisions they can think about the more they are becoming involved and literate with this data. Exactly. That's really and great. I would argue that one goes with the other because uh, the more you understand what the data can actually provide you, the more the more literate you, you will get about the data itself and about the insights that you're, you're deriving from it. Right. So that usefulness is so critical, especially in the beginning, if you want to get people on the bandwagon of loving data, of using it to make decisions, right? you hit that usefulness out of the gate rather than just providing them with a dashboard because that's what they should be asking for <laughs> as a stakeholder. You know, you said something interesting, and this is where I like to poke around the philosophy of things. You talked about being very clear in the message of the dashboard. And a message is usually what encapsulates the theme of a story rather than being a sort of goal. So the way that I've often thought of dashboards is one part of a much bigger story. It's like it's like the the generator of the conflict in a way. So part of the storytelling arc is the conflict that there's something wrong, there's something that needs to be addressed, there's an issue. So for me, dashboards have been like the goal of this dashboard is to identify any conflicts in these specific areas. And then they're like taken on later to be addressed through a whole story and there's a resolution. So I, I wonder about your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with that. And I mean, compared to, compared to a presentation, I would say a dashboard by itself is boring, right? Because you don't have that. You don't have be. that. That's exactly it. Should be. You don't have that that uh, story arc. And I mean, taking your car example from before, I think the best dashboard will give you all of the information that you need in order to operate the car or whatever you're doing right now. But it will also indicate whenever there's an error so that the, I don't know, the car tells you when the engine is overheating or something via its dashboard. And I think the best dashboard would also give you an indication of that and not only show you kind of the, the tip of the iceberg of the thing you're currently operating. So yeah, I, I would say I fully, fully agree with the point. And I think the dashboard will always just be this small part that you will need as a presenter build a story around. The dashboard itself will not tell the story for you. Right. It can be an excellent place of inspiration for a story. But yeah, I would love to even see dashboards have a sort of tagline at the top that says the goal of this is to alert you to stuff in this area, right? Rather than just like, here, this is our executive dashboard, <laughs> right? So people love to talk about the tools and we'll we'll talk more about tools closer to the end, but just to kind of whet the appetite, what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite tool that you use to create all of your client dashboards? There are so many out there. I think we have a list of about 300 tools that uh, keeps growing and, and growing. I'm a big fan of Looker personally, because I think that's a, um, a very interesting and, and promising tool. Uh, Looker obviously is on the on the upper end of, of the budgetary range, but I think it's it has a very interesting approach. And what Looker does is it basically connects very directly with your data warehouse, with the database you're drawing your data from, and then provides kind of an additional interface for that. So it allows people who are not as technically adept to work directly with the data from the database um, by using a simplified scripting language called LookML, which, which I think is really cool because it does enable people to do data exploration in a safe way. And I think there's the other approach that we see in many other tools um, that provide 
a lot of connectors um, that can directly tap into data sources, which is fine, which works very well for ad hoc analysis and other use cases, but it always has the inherent danger of uh, bypassing your single source of truth. And uh, this is where we always a bit vary um, when, when we see that. On the other hand, um, I believe there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the in the data visualization market right now. I mean, we have Looker, which got bought by Google. We have Tableau, which got bought by Salesforce. We will probably see a lot of consolidation um, in, in that market soon. So I'm very interested uh, to follow that. Then on the other end of the spectrum, when it comes to budget, um, we have Data Studio, we have Metabase. And actually, Metabase is, I think, uh, one of the tools that I would definitely like to suggest to have a look into. Um, it's an open source tool, and it is really powerful considering that um, and allows you to build really cool dashboards. Um, it is a bit technical, though. Uh, you will have to write SQL, which is at least for us one of the main tools that we also use in terms of programming languages. Um, but considering the fact that it's an open source tool, I think it's really cool. Oh, that's very cool. I always love to hear about new tools. And, you know, when you talk about Looker, you know, my the tool I'm most familiar with with dashboarding is Tableau. And I'm sure many listeners use that on a regular basis. What are some of the distinguishing characteristics, would you say, between the two? Well, I, I would say the philosophy of Looker is, is much more centered around connecting to that data warehouse, while Tableau offers you these, these different connectors. And I think uh, that, that can be really good because Tableau is super powerful when it comes to connecting and, and merging different data sources. So um, it's very good for, for data exploration as well, but it needs a bit of more governance, I would say, because otherwise you might risk that people build their own Tableau workbooks. And I mean, you might have seen that in companies because I, I have often that uh, you have that one person who has this one Tableau workbook lying around and nobody really remembers how it worked, but we know that everybody needs numbers from it. And uh, that is what I think can be, a, can be a bit dangerous. On the other hand, I think Tableau is a great tool. And if with the right governance, it can be it can be used really, really effectively. Oh, okay, great. Well, it's great to hear the different reasons you might use these tools and what their advantages are, right? Good to be multi-purpose. <laughs> so, I mean, in the end, the tool doesn't matter that much, right? And it's what you do um, with it, yeah. I, if, you, if you know what data you, you want to look into, if you have the data well-structured, usually beforehand, then you can just connect any tool and the tool will only do the visualization for you, which is obviously important. But um, I would say the, the overlap between the, the features of those tools is usually uh, rather big. I see. Right, right, exactly. So now I want to sort of change gears into presenting data a bit. We've moved on from dashboards. You have your conflict. You're ready to actually present stories. How, do you have ways of presenting information, especially complex information, using like analogies, metaphors, any kind of relatable concept? Because oftentimes it's hard for a more lay, you know, regular business audience to understand the nuances of the data. I think we we very often have to work um with methods to to make the information simpler that we're conveying and i mean the more we're now going into data science which is something that we see emerging more and more in the markets before companies i think they just weren't ready yet for data science and by now um, we see that a lot of people um, request those analyses from us and usually this is when we have uh, the most touch points with presenting because the results that come out of your typical data science analysis, they're usually fairly complicated uh, to read. Uh, you have these matrices that uh, you really need to understand the nitty gritty about um, the data that has flown in. And then we usually try to relate that to what we believe our client knows best. And I think um, the best way of doing that is if you understand if, if you take a bit of the domain knowledge they have and you try to translate it to that. Um, for example, we did one uh, data science analysis for a, for a client who wanted to know um, if a specific part from their uh, quality assurance process will later be returned or not. 
And I mean, it's fairly complicated uh, to estimate and you get all of these uh, matrices that then will tell you what the, the probability is. But in the end, breaking down the result is super easy because you would just tell them basically in their own terms um, what that would mean when translated uh, to to the, the company. But um, I, ov I obviously understand that this is not always possible and not always you will have the domain knowledge that is needed in order to 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 uh, translate it to what it would mean for the company, then I think the only way you can do is actually um, building a simple analogy. I would much rather, I, I use that more often when I speak about technical terms, when I explain something about infrastructure, for example, I think then it's usually easier to work with uh, abstract analogies uh, instead of just, it's very often there's just no way of explaining a technical term. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's a good point around whether companies were ready to understand the level of complexity that data science would offer. You know, so I think the more concrete ways people have of explaining these things, the better. But I, to, to be frank, I also uh, I also already was in a meeting when the high level stakeholder told me, um, "Look, I'm not interested in that. Uh, just tell me what it means." And I literally said. I think at that point of time you need to you need to be interested because otherwise we won't get any further here. Obviously, that's an extreme measure, um, but in that particular case, it really helped because there, there was just no way around it except for spending the five minutes and really going into the details. Um, sometimes I think there's no way around that. <laughs> yeah, it's all about assessing the specific situation, right, and knowing who you're audience is, right? There's no one size fits all. So in terms of presenting, you know, it's so cool that you organize such large meetups, um, sure, virtually now, and having events like Measure Camp. So in all the presentations you must see, you know, what's the last great one that you can remember that you were like, wow, that was spot on. What made that one stand out to you, if you can think of one? Yeah, I had one just, uh, just a while ago. And in in the end, it's just obviously about content and how you convey it. And I mean, that was I I really like that example because it's so it's so that simple. It explains just a very common fallacy in that presentation. He was referring. Uh, he was talking about um, planes that had returned from uh, from in the Second World War, and there was basically. Uh, a picture of a or a schema of a plane um, and there were red dots where the plane got hit uh, by bullets and then obviously the the question uh, he asked was so where would you put armor on those planes in order to um, to uh, to make sure that they that more planes would return and I mean your first impulse is to think obviously at the points where you um, where you see the the impacts of the bullets but that's completely the wrong answer because you would want to do it where you don't see the impacts because those are the planes that haven't returned and oh. it's a classical survival <laughs> advice but i mean it's just a, it's, a, it's a super basic and trivial example um it just very stuck in my head because i found it was so well explained and um uh, Maybe it was just a good presentation, too. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I'm deep in the study of analogy right now in order to help explain things. And sometimes something concrete that people can visualize is such a powerful way to explain a concept, right? Or like a fallacy, like you said. You know, I could explain what an ad hominem fallacy is and get into the technical terms of that. But if I instead said to you, well, imagine that, you know, there's a person out there who says lots of untrue things, but he says one true thing, you're automatically going to determine that that thing is untrue simply because everything else he says is untrue. And that's actual logical fallacy. But I have a person in mind who's leaving a certain office today. <laughs> but... Um, um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's so much easier once you walk th people through a specific example. And I think that's interesting that that's the one that stood out for you. What's a analogy that you use very often? Because you seem to be very yeah. Well, using my favorite right now is the one around car dashboards, 
because it's literally talking about why dashboards were created. I'm not even relating a dashboard to an Apple cart. I'm relating it to an actual dashboard with the same, it's almost like the spirit of why digital dashboards, business dashboards were created has been lost in translation from the original medium that they were created in, in a way. So that's one of my favorites. Uh, Another one that I love is when I explain about how the brain can't hold too much information at once. And if your slides are really busy with lots of nonsense stuff like logos and decorative bars and things that don't communicate information, it visually starts to throw like as if you're trying to juggle a lot of balls at once. And the more balls that you throw at a person, the more likely they are to drop all of them. Like And that's when their attention just goes out. So the fewer balls you're throwing, the better they can hold their attention on them and keep them in the air. So yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome for that one. You can can (laughs) buy that one too. (laughs) Another 5,000, right? (laughs) Wow, I'm doing great on this episode. Very profitable. So last question before we dive into kind of our next segment. What are you most excited about in terms of where dashboards are going, where data storytelling is going, analytics. I mean, I mentioned self-service before, and I'm very excited about that. Um, I believe we're at the point where more and more stakeholders will be able to uh, to work with the data themselves. And I mean, data literacy is a big thing, right? And uh, companies are investing heavily in enabling people to work with with data and i think we're just at the at the beginning of that and i think in the, in the next years it will become much more frequent that almost anyone in a company who has access to some kind of data um, will need to be able to derive information from that by themselves and so i would say that anything that goes into the direction of self service i find i find very exciting well, I think practitioners find that very exciting because it means more analyzing work, <laughs> more of the work that they love. Yeah, and I mean, less I serving. In the back of my head, but I didn't say it. But obviously, the more people who in a company engage uh, with uh, data and its tools will potentially approach us at some point. <laughs> right. Right. So. Exactly. All right, so we've arrived at a segment I call the upgrade. Any sort of tool, resource, book, anything that you are loving right now that you think the audience is going to love. So you initially, before this, mentioned a couple of visualization tools you can use for free. So I'd love to hear what you've got. I mean, the tool that I mentioned before, Metabase, I would definitely recommend to check that out. Aside from that, what I'm really excited about in terms of tooling is also a database system called BigQuery, um, which is a Google product. And it's basically a super powerful database system at the tip of your hands. Um, It's so cheap, like one uh, one terabyte of computing is $5, which is nothing. (laughs) You you basically don't pay anything for storage. I think um, one terabyte of storage is also a dollar or something. So it's super cheap. You barely notice it, but it's incredibly powerful. And um, we see a lot of our clients migrating to that tool um, and building entire data warehouses, data platforms in Google BigQuery um, because additionally connects very well with all of the Google tools, obviously. And it's it's uh, really, really affordable and, and powerful. And uh, that comes uh, with, a, with a few other advantages. Um, one feature that I really like in Google Spreadsheets is the ability to connect it directly to Google BigQuery. So even though if you don't know much about um, databases and SQL, you can uh, use it, uh, you can interface directly with Google Spreadsheets um, with that. And I mean, while we're already at it, um, I'm a big fan of Google Spreadsheets too, um, kind of uh, showing how much of a Google fanboy I am, I feel. <laughs> In Spreadsheets, there's one really neat feature. I mean, I, I said it before, I'm a bit of a techie, so 
when it comes to Excel and stuff, um, I'm usually happy the more programming I can do with it and the less uh, formula I need to I need to remember. So there is one called uh, Query, which I think is really, really powerful because it allows you to write SQL inside of, uh, of the spreadsheet function. So you can basically uh, run a query on any data that you have in your in your spreadsheets and that is like opening a completely new box because you can basically replace any function uh, that you have in 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 spreadsheets with a SQL query and do a lot more just that Wow, very cool. Look, I'm sure there are many people who are going to be very excited to try that out if they haven't heard about it already. <laughs> People's brains are like ding 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 ding. So, okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for those tools. Uh, remembering that all of these links that we've mentioned are going to be on the show notes page for this episode. All right, Marco, we have arrived at our final question. So I want you to think very hard here and imagine this very plausible, realistic scenario. You're busy bouldering up the side of a mountain in Yosemite National Park when suddenly you slip and fall into a vortex, not the ground you're safe, into a vortex that pulls you back to the moment you're about to deliver your first presentation. Do you remember what you're presenting about and what advice would you give to you? Oh, wow. You mean really my very, very first? If you can, or just the first one that comes to mind. <laughs> I, I would have probably preferred not to have the vortex. And uh, <laughs> just no, I'm, uh, I'm just kidding. Um yeah, I think uh, I think my one of my very first presentations where where even back then as a being a student still, and I think it it had to do about uh, my my thesis back then. But I I clearly remember that I was way too all over the place with um, with the information that I provided. And I mean, you mentioned the 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 story arc the 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 arc before, and I mean I I didn't pay attention to any of this, right? I just through all of the content at them and obviously being super nervous it doesn't help uh, much either so i think i would i would have definitely told myself to be much more concise because being a techie you always want to put in every little detail in there and um, that usually doesn't help much um, so i i think all of what we said uh, now uh, would have helped me uh, build a, build a proper storyline, um, use analogies, and be concise and know your audience. And I think with that, I would have delivered a much much better presentation. Luckily, I believe the content wasn't too bad, so I, I got a good grade, and probably the teachers had an understanding for <laughs> for me being nervous. But <laughs> funny question, I'm picturing myself now with boulder shoes and uh, chalk back uh, <laughs> in front of my former uni professors. But you're welcome. <laughs> that is a very entertaining, interesting, uh, plausible scenario <laughs> to picture. No, and it's it's really good advice. You know, of course, it's always hindsight, right? But what I find this question reveals is kind of the things that people have valued the most that they've learned along the way that has helped them so much along the way. Obviously, content is incredibly important, but you're seeing how an audience focus and, you know, finding that compelling narrative can be so powerful. So that's great. So unfortunately, our time has run out. So please tell the listeners where they can keep up with you. Well, I'm very happy to connect on LinkedIn and also um, check out the meetup. Um, it's called Digital Analytics Meetup. And I mean, obviously, it has been a local Berlin thing, but by now... Um, due to the strange times uh, we're living in. And the good thing about that is it it's now open to everyone. We have already people um, from anywhere in Germany joining. So I would be uh, really happy to see some someone from the US also, also tune in. And yeah, it's all in English. So um, it's basically open to anyone. And yeah, very happy to connect. Perfect, perfect. So before we run, is there 
any kind of project online that you're excited about that people can check out? So there's one. Um, we build a COVID dashboard, actually, um, which you'll find under flattenthecurve.pandato.de. And I mean, you mentioned before you would wish for a dashboard that um, would tell you what the goal is and then uh, then show you the data to it. And I hope that uh, this is what we're actually fulfilling with that, because um, our question was, um, are we actually flattening the curve with our measures? We, we built that already in the beginning of the year and then we show the data for that. And the other thing is something really crazy that um, I'm currently working on. There's no information online yet, um, but I would be very to, happy to talk about that with people. And I'm a big fan of quiet information because we have all of this flashy dashboards, flashy information everywhere. And I'm actually planning to build a dashboard um, on an e-ink screen. So basically like these e-papers um, that you have. And I'm, I would be really curious to see that because I believe um, it's such a calm way of uh, conveying information. And I think it would really look uh, neat on a, on a management boardroom wall. So um, yeah, if anybody wants to chat about that, I would be really happy to get in touch. So something much more subtle. I think there's a value in that for sure. Everything is so loud and flashy now, <laughs> thanks to our attention issues. But anyway, I enjoyed this conversation so much. It was so great to sort of break out into another area of data communication and also see where storytelling plays into that. And of course, reminding everyone that all of the links we just mentioned are going to be on the show notes page for this episode. Marco, thank you so much for being on the show all the way across the globe. <laughs> and I truly hope our paths cross again and I'll get to join your meetup one day, hopefully. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Such an invigorating conversation, even though my main wheelhouse is not dashboards currently, but I just love to talk about the ins and outs of using that very unique specific format to really help decision makers inform their decisions. To catch all of the links to register for all the resources, everything you've heard about mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes page at leahpeka.com slash 071. Be sure to leave a comment or suggestions or send a tweet. You can also reach me on LinkedIn. I highly, highly encourage my listeners to send me an invitation to connect on LinkedIn. Make sure to leave a note that you're a listener of the show. I absolutely love to hear from you. I love to connect with folks that way. And once again, if you like what you've heard, take just one little second. If you're on your phone and you're on Spotify or you're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts now, just take a moment to hit that follow button because that way you'll never miss an episode. And if you want extra brownie points, please leave a rating and review because they are so appreciated and they help the show stay afloat in those rankings. And I'll leave you with today's presentation inspiration by Thomas Redman, also known as the Data Doc. And that is, where there is data smoke, there is business fire. I love this quote so much. It makes things so simple. My take, it is crucial to pay attention to the smoking guns in your data. And that's what dashboards are ideally designed to do. So every once in a while, stop and look them over and ask, hey, dashboard, where's the fire? The faster the dashboard enables you to find it and put it out, the faster the road to analytics glory for you. That's it for today. Hope you stay well, stay safe, and namaste. Namaste.